I am so glad that God never lets go of me. I, um, as we're singing that song and saying how, you know, through the calm, through the storm, through, through all the situations in our life, and it just seems like every time, you know, that, that we sing a song and, and I'm sitting there worshiping and it's just like ministering to my heart and I'm just singing out and I'm just kind of praying it through even. You know, um, and I don't know if you ever do that stuff, like when when we're worshiping, to pray those songs through, you know, um, just even the song before that about, you know, he is the air I breathe, man, he is everything, he has to be those kinds of things if we're truly going to get through this life. And I think oftentimes when we struggle in our lives is because we think that we can do it on our own, and God's going, you can't even breathe without me, and it's like, you're right, (laughs) And so I'm just so glad that he never lets go of me. And so tonight um, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now I got to I gotta let you guys know something that kind of went on with me. Um, as we're getting into chapter 21 of Samuel, for the last couple of days I was looking at and studying 2 Samuel chapter 22, because at that, that's where we were at. And only come to find out and realize that I hadn't even done chapter 21. Because I opened up, you know, I had been reading and stuff, but never really kind of going back a little bit. And usually I try to go back to see where we were finishing off. And I look at my previous chapter, chapter 21, and there, because I usually mark up my Bible all over the place, you know, for my notes and stuff, and and I'm going, man, it's pretty clean right there, man, I can't believe I didn't, oh, geez, I didn't, I didn't teach that chapter, and so to, to stay consistent with the Bible, in how we go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, instead of you know, chapter, skip a chapter, come back to a chapter, um, I decided to go chapter by chapter, and so that's why we're on chapter 21. And so I just have to tell you guys, I know if I wouldn't have said anything, nobody would have probably known, but I just can't keep these funny things to myself, because I don't know, have you ever been put in a situation when you're preparing for something, and then all of a sudden you get there, and everything is like not the way you were studying for, or it's changed and all of that. And it's almost like, hey, let's be flexible. Because I think sometimes God allows us to go through those kinds of things so we're not just trusting in ourselves or trusting in my notes. Um, and, uh, and he's going, okay, let's, let's put you up there. And so when we're singing just a while ago, again, I'm just like a nervous wreck going, Lord, you are everything I need right now. I need your grace. You are the air I breathe. You're my everything, please, Lord. I don't want to mess this up, you know. And so we'll see how tonight goes. I told Jim, hey, we might just cut it short tonight because I might just read through it and then we're done. But you're not going to be that lucky <laughs> to get away that early. I, I, I always think that I'm going to finish early and then I, I'm a windbag. So. But let's pray and just see what the Lord does in my heart towards this study. Father, again, we thank you that you never let go, Lord God. We are just so grateful for your mercy and your grace, Lord God. I just want to bank on that all the time, whether I have notes, whether I don't have notes, whether I've studied for a particular study or not. Um, Lord, you've given me enough time, Lord God, to devour your word 
to, to read your word, to see, Lord God, the heart of the writer of this word, Lord God. And I just pray that even tonight, Lord, you would be with my brothers and sisters, Lord, as we go through this chapter. The things that are in it, Lord, that you would help me to capitalize on those things. The things that my brothers and sisters need, Lord, the things that I need um, as we go through it. And so, Father, we do want to bless you. We do want to thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord God, that again, you've written out your word. I didn't have to write it. You've already written it out, Lord. And I just want to be faithful in conveying it. Uh, and we thank you in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So we are in chapter 21. If you remember, because um, I didn't, obviously, a couple weeks back when we, um, when we were in chapter 20, you know, again, David had just come out of a trial. He was headed back into a trial, and he was in the middle of a trial. All those things that we were kind of talking about, and the whole Sheba thing, and losing his head over this whole thing that he wanted to be, the, 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 the big kahuna, the big cheese. He wanted to be the one that, that kind of got Israel, you know, unified in, on his side, and yet he loses his head, literally, um, because that wasn't God's will. That God, God was not calling Sheba to be the, 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 the king of Israel. He had called David, and no matter what anybody else tried to do to David or against David, God was on David's side. And because God was on David's side, there was nothing, nothing that was going to get David out of the way. Now, we look at situations like Absalom where he had to flee, but David was doing that not because he was a little chicken, not because he was running, but because he didn't want to bring more slaughter to the nation of Israel. He didn't want more bloodshed on the nation of Israel on something needless because he could flee. He could have fought against his son, and I could guarantee you he would have won him right there in Jerusalem. He would have beat him. But instead, he wanted to protect his son, and, and he flees, and then all that stuff happens, and then Sheba comes in, and then all of this. So now we're in verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, after hearing um, from verses 23 to 26 in the previous chapter, all his administration that is now set in order once again uh, in the nation of Israel. In verse 21, it says, or chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had swore protection to them, but Saul sought to kill them, in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah, therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house. Nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. Now, 
It says that there was a famine in the land. Now, oftentimes famines are, 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 are come upon a land not, not, not always because of a drought, but mostly because of a drought. Because something, you know, because it's not raining and, and things like that. So more often than not, you know, a famine does come because there is no water and food grows where the, where the water flows. That is a saying in the Central Valley, the Central uh, San Joaquin Valley. That's a, they need water. They produce most of the most of, of the food for all of America, basically, and the world. There's so much. And without water, and we're in a drought, but they have reservoirs um, somewhat. But without water, then, then again, man, there's not going to be a lot of produce. There's not going to be a lot of food. And because of there's the lack of food, there's a famine to where there's not enough to go around. Now, when there is no water, one might be able to live off of the reservoirs if they had reservoirs at that time. And I'm assuming they probably did, and I'm sure that they had their silos that were full of grain for these rainy days or lack of rainy days, if you will. And so they, they, they could possibly go to the reservoir. They can go to the supply that has been saved up. And so when a famine is beginning to happen, like in the first year, then, then you, you probably will get by. It's not going to be a bumper crop by any means, but you're going to get something. Now, when you head into the second year and there's still no rain, now, now, now you're going, okay, this could be a drought. You know, the first year, you know, sometimes you have those years that it's not, it's kind of a lean time, you know. But now you're headed into a second year, and now, now you're going, okay, it's possible that it will get better. So you have these hopes that it's like, okay, it just hasn't rained in the beginning. And, and this, is the, the, this time that we're talking about is from about April to about October. That would be the, the, the season that, that they would be out working and stuff, and, and, and they needed some rain to come through. And when you get into the second year, and there's none coming in, and you're hoping, wow, this really can't last, and it does, then you begin to feel the effects of a famine coming on. It's kind of on its way. And so once you get done with that second year, and you're going, this was not good. And then you're going, okay, you know, we're not, we're not out of it yet. But once a third year comes, then you're going, okay, we're in big, heap trouble here. Because it's not going to only affect what we haven't gotten, but it's going to affect the next few years as well if we don't have any rain uh, coming in. And so all of a sudden, now you're in the midst of the famine, and, and it will be a while before you get out of that. And this is where David and the nation of Israel find themselves in. It says that, that, that year after year. And so now... It says, and David inquired of the Lord. And it's almost like, okay, we're in big trouble. Now it's time to pray. And you're almost like, no, not that time. Because isn't that interesting that that often happens in our lives? That when, when, when things are going pretty good, we, you know, we, we might pray, but we're not like, like desperate for God. 
until we get to a point where it's like, okay, now we're in, in, in a lot of trouble now, and so I think we need to pray, honey. It's like, maybe you should have been thinking about that before, but we often do those kinds of things, and it's not until we get our, or find ourselves in a drought, <laughs> we find ourselves in a place where, where we're kind of famished because we haven't been getting the nutrients or the nourishment that we're used to getting, and all of a sudden it's like there's lean times. And now you're going, man, I got, I, got to get, I got to get back in the Word. I got to get back into doing this. I got to be, I, you know, because it's like you've been famished and you're in the midst of a drought. And it's oftentimes those times that we realize, Lord, I am so desperate for you right now. And it's almost like, no, we should have been desperate for him when we saw that first year coming and going, Lord, this isn't looking good. But we're going, ah, but it was a fluke thing. I can handle it, Lord. It's not a big deal. And then the second year is like, well, it's going to get better because I've been through this before. It's been okay. And you get to the end of that year. And again, we're talking years, not days and not weeks, not months. We're talking years that people have been in in, in a drought and famished. They're, they're, They're in a famine. And instead of going to the Lord at the first sign of trouble, we wait until we're in dire straits oftentimes. Now, don't get me wrong. God is not going to shut his ears and say, forget you. Why should I listen to you when, when, when at the first sign, when you saw that little check, you should have came running to me, but you didn't. So you know what? Now that you're really in big heap trouble, I, I don't know if I want to listen to you. God's not that way with us. You know, but be, because when we get into those lean times in our own Christian walk, God, God's always ready. He's always ready to pour out his blessings. And David should have, as the leader of this land, and maybe he was, he was trusting in his reservoirs, maybe he was trusting in, in the grain silos, you know, maybe he was, he, he was thinking, ah, it's going to be better, I have enough to get me by, and God's going, it's going to finish. You see, and so it says that David inquires of the Lord, and again, if David would have inquired of the Lord in the first year of that drought, maybe, possibly, perhaps, at the beginning, even at the second year, maybe all this could have been avoided because as soon as David inquires of the Lord, Lord, what is going on here? Why is this famine continuing in our lives? It's quite possible that, da- that the Lord would have answered him and said, it is because of this, because that's what we hear. As soon as he inquires of the Lord, the Lord says, here's the problem. I think God is always ready to give us an answer. But oftentimes we wait and we wait and we wait and he's going, you didn't have to go through this drought in your life. If you would have just stayed close to me, I would have showed you what, what was going on. If you would have inquired of me in the beginning, then we wouldn't have had to go through this thing. But nonetheless, David inquires of the Lord, and I love the fact that it says, and the Lord answered. He always does, guys. He really, really does. And the Lord answers as to why this drought has come upon the nation of Israel. Oh, there was definitely a problem. It's like, whoa. And, and, and can you imagine, as, as the Lord says, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the, the Gibeonites, 
David's probably thinking, it's because of Saul, my predecessor, so long ago? I, I wasn't even involved in that. Why am I having to reap the repercussions of, of that guy's sin, of that guy's fault? It's not my fault, Lord. But you see, David had inherited this nation. And it was the nation, basically, that had sinned under Saul. And now David was still having to reap the consequences of that. Now, all this time, there hadn't been other droughts. And I don't know why God didn't cause a famine before that and fix it. But now it was the time. Now it was the time for God to say, hey, we still have to settle an issue that happened so long ago. And I don't understand that, quite frankly, (laughs) Why God says, oh, now it's time for this lesson. Maybe because of all the stuff that David was already going through, he didn't need this on his plate. And maybe now that there's, there's a settlement going on and God's going, oh yeah, there's, there's something that has to be brought to bear. And if you inquire of me right now, I'll tell you right now. But David's going, no, we're cool. That's only a drop, man. It's not going to last. Second year, eh, we're okay. He comes into the third year, or they're into the third year, and now he's inquiring of the Lord. And I could only imagine that David's feeling like it's because of Saul. It's because of Saul. I, I, that happened a long time ago. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we see that, the, the, that, that Saul, in his reign, we, 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 we don't have anywhere where it says when and why Saul went after the Gibeonites. But obviously he did. There was a time during his reign that he decided to go after the Gibeonites. Now, what Saul did was he broke a vow that Israel had made with the Gibeonites back in Joshua's day. Now get this, that was about 400 years earlier. 400 years earlier when the children of Israel had come into the promised land and they had taken Jericho and then they had taken Ai, then they were you know, going to, to take over the land. The people from Gibeon, they had come and made a pact with the children of Israel that they would be protected. Now understand this. When they got there, they pretended that they had come from a distant land, from a faraway land, and they came and they made a pact with him. And Joshua did not inquire of the Lord back then about these guys. He just says, hey, wait a minute, man. You're telling me you're coming from a faraway land. How, 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 should I, how could I take your word from it, for it? And these guys say, well, see these sandals that were brand new when we took off. They're all holy. They're all jacked up. Look at this. The bread that we came with, well, it was nice and fresh, right out of the oven. Look at it, it's all moldy. I'm thinking, wait a minute, sandals don't wear out that bad unless you buy them at Payless or something. Uh, no, no offense to Payless. But, but it's like, so they're saying we are so tattered. We are so like run down. We've come from a far country and they were only within, you know, not, not a rock's throw away but they weren't that far away but they had come in and they deceived the nation of Israel now again there was a law or that God had settled back in 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 Exodus that says you're not going to make covenants with anybody in the surrounding area because if you make a covenant with them they will drag you down and because Joshua didn't make 
make it or, or investigate even more or 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 interrogate even more he makes a pact with them and even though they deceived him god says you've made this vow you will keep it 400 years later saul comes after these guys and god still remembers the treaty that was made with these people and they weren't supposed to go after them now because they had become a slave to Israel, Joshua trying to make things right for the mistake that he had made. He had made the Gibeonites into his woodcutters, woodworkers. He, they were the, the water carriers, if you will, uh, of, of the land. And so God still had this, this commitment to them. They were going to, to, to fulfill this vow. But at some point in, day, in Saul's reign... He intended to wipe them out. It, it, it would be kind of like an ethnic cleansing, a, a genocide, if you will, that he just wanted to get rid of all of them. Now, interestingly enough, when God had told Saul to eliminate the Amalekites, he didn't. He saved them. God distinctly told him, hey, you need to wipe them out. Man, women, child, Every, even their animals, wipe them all out. And he doesn't do that. And yet, I'm sure Saul knew that the Gibeonites were protected, and yet he goes after them. And it's like, ah, I don't get it, Saul. And another interesting fact was Saul's great-grandfather was from the land of, of Gibeah. And so somehow, I don't know, maybe he was mad at great-grandpa or whatever, but he is basically going against his own people. Which again, I, I just found it interesting that, that he goes after them. And so it says that, that the Lord answered him. He says, it's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty household. In other words, it wasn't a, a normal war where you would go to war and the casualties have to happen and people are going to get slaughtered and these things kind of happen. No, this was different. This was not a war. This was just being bloodthirsty. They were going after these guys just to annihilate them. And so that's important to note that when Saul decided to do this, it wasn't God's will for him to do that. It wasn't something that God had ordained for him to go and kill the, the Gibeonites. No, they were just bloodthirsty. They were going after these people just to whatever, to, to annihilate them, to, to, to get rid of them. And so that's huge right there. And, said, and, and, and so in verse 2 it says, So the king called the Gibeonites, and spoke to them. As the Lord revealed the problem to David, David dealt with it. Now, I find it fascinating that he didn't have Joab or, or another commander or, or an administrator, hey, get a hold of these people from, from Gibeah and, and find out what, what, what needs to happen. It, it, the way it sounds here, no, David took full control of the situation. He took command. He's a, he inquires of the Lord through a priest or, or an advisor or however it is, but the Lord reveals to him. And instead of going those routes, he goes straight to the Gibeonites. And again, it kind of tells us here that the Gibeonites weren't from the nation of Israel. They were remnants of the Amorites. And the Amorites, if you look in your map, the, the number one map, it kind of gives you that whole region. And they, they were from the Euphrates River all the way over, over to Palestine, to Lebanon, to Syria. So they had a big range, which would be modern-day Saudi Arabia and Jordan. They, they were huge. 
And the Gibeonites were a small remnant, a small portion of that big nation. And so oftentimes the Amorites, um, they, they, are, they are called the, the Canaanites as well. So they were all in that whole area. But David, he wanted to get things right in order so that they would be a blessing to the inheritance of the Lord, so that the Lord would bless them again with rain. Because this issue was holding the rain from the nation of Israel. Because blood was shed innocently in that sense. And God says, somebody's got to pay for this. Something's got to happen and this got to get fixed. And so he, he goes and he opens up this dialogue with the Gibeonites. And David was willing to do whatever it took to make amends. To, to atone for this slaughter that had happened. For David, it would be a sacrifice. It would be something big. There would have to be retribution um, that, that, that would be significant. And I think David knew that. But the Gibeonites, they didn't, they didn't want money. To them, there was no amount of money that could suffice the situation. They, 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 they couldn't buy their way out of this. And on top of that, they were saying, nor do we want you to kill any of the men of Israel. Just give us anybody. No, there, there's, there's a way to remedy this situation. And so when David learned of the facts of what they wanted, and what they were asking for retribution or restitution here for the, the, the sin that had been committed against them by his predecessor. And again, it's almost like, man, sin sometimes lingers on from generation to generation, doesn't it? And this is what's happening here. Sometimes in, in, in a nation, what a predecessor does kind of lingers on to the next regime and next presidency or, or whatever the case may be. And that's what was going on here. And because of this terrible sin, the children of Israel are hurting. And David is wanting to make it right. And so the Gibeonites, they make it clear. They knew. They knew their place in Israel. They knew that they were servants of, uh, of Israel. They knew that they were resident aliens of the nation of Israel. And they knew that they really had no rights. Because all this time that was going on, and I don't think they understood that this drought that was going on, this famine that was happening, was because of what had happened over there. But once the Lord revealed it to David, he went to them and said, Hey, we need to get this right. And maybe he explained to them, We have no no water, and I don't know if they were affected or not, but we have a drought going on because of our sin. And we want to get it right. And again, man, it speaks to our hearts as to when we are, 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 are in sin that God cannot bless or continue to bless us if we don't get things right in the first place. And that's what's happening here. God kind of is holding back His blessing. Because something has to get fixed. And oftentimes, guys, when God is ministering to us in our hearts about getting things right with people in our lives, and you know 
yes, it's, it's on me. I have to take that first step. Because I think people often say, well, it wasn't even my fault. Yeah, but if God is telling you, if you're going, Lord, I don't know why these people are mad at me. I don't know. I'm inquiring of you. And he says, it's because you need to humble yourself. And you're going, well, that can't be, Lord. That can't possibly be. Because I didn't cause this. Again, dealing with people and even my own stubbornness. But I'll blame everybody else except me right now. You know, when, when, when people are saying, but it's not my fault. Why do I have to lower myself? Why do I have to make the first move? Well, as a Christian, oftentimes we're asked by the Lord to make the first move. Because David could have said, that was a long time ago, Lord. I didn't even cause this. And, and, and yet David is saying, if there's going to be a remedy, then I have to fix this. And oftentimes God asks you to take that first step. And I know it's probably some of the hardest things that we have to do when we have to humble ourselves when we weren't even at fault. And sometimes God requires that of you and I. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, I tell people when you read that, it goes against all your grain. <laughs> it goes against your pride. It goes against everything that, that you think of. If somebody hits me, I'm hitting them back and I'm hitting them back harder. And yet God says, no, when they hit you, turn the other cheek. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, that's just not supposed to happen. When somebody hates me, I'm supposed to hate them back. I'm justified. And he says, no, if somebody hates you, you pray for them. Somebody curses you, you bless them. And it's like, and God often asks us to do those types of things, and they are not the easiest thing. But I tell people all the time, and I've shared it from the pulpit, humility, when it's tried, when it's done, wins all the time, according to God. When our pride rears up, and we don't want to be doing it because we don't want to take the first, then, then the enemy wins once again. And so another lesson, in, in, even in here, that David is making that, that step to these people, even though these people know they're the servants. They, they don't have a case here. Who are they? And yet they're going, man, we would never bring this up, David. But now you're coming to us? In that case, to take care of all this, we don't want you to shed blood on anybody else. We don't need Saul's money. This, this is what we need in verse 5. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, so you know it's pretty big, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord and give, uh, in uh, guilt. Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chooses. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took er I have it written down here. Amo Armani. I want to say Armani. 
Armoni it is, Armoni, Armoni. And Mophibosheth, another Mophibosheth, not the one he just spared, the sons of Rithba, the daughter of uh, Ayah, whom she bore to Saul, whom she bore to Saul. And the five sons of, uh, of my, uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, from that place. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hung them, hanged them on a hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first day of the beginning of the wheat of wheat, of barley harvest. And so here, the Gibeonites asked for seven of the male descendants of Saul. This is crazy here because I'm looking at this and I'm going, wait a minute, man. They're asking for human sacrifices almost. And it's almost like you give us these men and we will sacrifice them. And I know that the Lord is not into sacrificing human sacrifices. He is totally against that. And yet these guys are saying, we need Saul's descendants to pay for the crimes. It's almost like, like after all these years of a war that you have these war crimes. You know, these, these people that are being tried after the fact, after so long ago. And I'm thinking, okay, were these guys that were chosen... Were they in any way a part of the slaughter that had gone on? And because the Lord does not say, hey, hey, whoa, 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 that's totally out of the realm here, it's quite possible that they had been involved. And because they murdered, not just killed in war, because they murdered, they were going to have to pay the price. And these were the remaining ones. And so we have these two sons Armoni and Mephibosheth, that were the sons of Rizpah. Now, Rizpah was one of Saul's concubines. And these are her two sons. And then the other five sons, or the other five boys, that are going to be held, handed over, these, it says, were the sons of Michael. Now, Michael was, was, his first, was David's first wife, and she was childless if you remember. So these five sons were her, her sister's sons. Her sister me, being um, uh, Mirab. She was the one that was promised to David when David killed Goliath, if you remember. That he was, that he was supposed to get one of Saul's daughters. It was supposed to be her. But, but she was promised to somebody else. So he got Michael, the crazy. She was the crazy one. And so now that she's gone, she's raising these kids. And I'm thinking, okay, I know that he kind of put her away because she, she disgraced him. But that means that they were somehow under David's covering. So they were not only his wife's nephews, but they would almost be his stepsons that he is handing over to get killed. I'm thinking, man, David, this is not a, an easy situation that David is in. He is making these kinds of decisions, and I'm sure he's, he's not like, you, 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 
Let's go. I'm sure it's hurting him to have to pick these people that he knows because they were all, he was part of that family. He, he was the, the son-in-law to Saul. And he's having to pick these nephews out, basically, for death. And so again, here, because of sin that, that has been lingering, David's still dealing with sin as a nation, and now he's having to turn people over to this other people that he could have just annihilated himself because they were slaves, but he's honoring this whole thing. And I'm going, man, Lord, how come life gets that confusing? That, that it cannot just be so easy, so cut and dry. God is not endorsing human sacrifice in any way, but murder had to get paid for here. And again, it's quite possible that these guys are old enough that they were a part of the atrocities. David, at this time, is in his 60s more than likely, and so these guys, if they were youngsters back in the day, they were in teenage years or maybe early 20s, and they're a little older. So life is complicated here. And they're being handed over. And in verse 9, it says that they got hung. And then they all fell together. And it was at the beginning of the harvest. So now, this is that at, at, at the beginning, basically, of April or around April time. And then in verses 10 to 14, it says, Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, uh, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the latter rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told that Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, uh, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead who had stole them from the streets of Bethshan uh, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there and they gathered the bones of those who had been hung or hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the tribe of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded, and after that God heeded the prayer of the land. Now it was required by the law that the bodies that were dead should not be hanging overnight, but they had fallen. But they were supposed to bury them by sundown. And Rispa could not get herself to do that because of the, 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 the magnitude of this, 
the situation. It says that she took sackcloth, and it seems like they were laid out over these rocks, and she put sackcloth over these bodies, not just her sons, but more than likely over her nephews as well, over all of them. And for, from April to October, she stood vigil over these bodies with this sackcloth to where they deteriorated, I'm sure, but she didn't allow the birds to eat them or the, or the beast to come and feed off of them. So she stood vigil over that. And I'm thinking, man, this woman was heartbroken because of all that had happened. But it was her, her husband... <laughs> Saul, who had done these atrocities in the first place, and this woman is suffering because of what her husband had done so long ago. And again, this is the way sin, this is what sin does. It hurts, it destroys, it kills, it lingers. (laughs) All these years ago, this woman, Rizpah, I mean, not only was she just a concubine, a, a woman for pleasure for Saul, but she had kids from him, Rispa is the same woman that Abner kind of raped or took to himself as well when, when uh, Saul had died. And it's like this poor woman didn't ask for any of this. And now her sons get, get handed over and now she's keeping visual over some dead bodies for months on end. And David hears about it. And hears about the compassion of this mother who is just hurting because of what's going on. And finally, and, 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 and we know that again, it's almost God was in this whole thing because it says that the rains did come. So because of this, because now there's restitution, because now sin has been dealt with, the rains came. And for all these months, that woman had been waiting there and once the rains came and, and, and God's blessing was now upon the nation of Israel, it says that David, he went out and he took the bones of Saul and Jonathan from where they were at. They weren't buried. They had been interned in, in a different area of Israel. He brought them down to, to, to where the, the, their home was, where his father was buried. And he put those bones with those bones and gathered them all together, which would be an honorable thing to do. Again, thinking about all that, that, that Saul had done to David, David is still, even in death, of the death of all these people, is still showing kindness to the house of Israel or to the house of, of, of Saul. Never once did David go against Saul. Even in this, man, he's having compassion. And so here in these verses, what we see here is the compassion of a mother because of the loss. Because of what sin had done. And then we have the compassion of David once again. Going, let me show this family kindness. Because that was in his heart to do continually. Even though they had hurt him. Even though the nation had gone through three years of famine. He's still showing kindness. And again, a, 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 a lesson for us as Christians. That no matter what people do to us how people treat us, how sin has affected us, we are still to act with compassion towards people. That should be our heart. And I know sometimes it's like, but I don't want to. It's like, I'm sorry, you don't get to want to on this. It's a have to. This is what God requires of us as Christians. And so it says that at the end, 
And after that, God heeded the prayers of the land. In other words, he healed the land. He brought a blessing back to the land because sin had been dealt with after all these years. I'm sure God was saying, man, I wanted to bless you even more, but I couldn't because of sin. And guys, we need to be dealing with sin continually in our lives so that we can be blessed by God. You know, when, when we sin, when we feel far away from God, it's not that we've lost our salvation, not by any means, but we just miss out on those blessings that God wants to be pouring out on us. We miss out on those things. When we allow sin to fester, to linger, when we don't humble ourselves before our God and inquire of Him and say, Lord, what is going on? Why is this happening? And I could guarantee you, when you have that sincere prayer of, Lord, what is happening? He will answer. I can guarantee you, He will answer and He will tell you, it is because of this. Just, just like, like it said in verse 1, it is because of Saul. He will answer you. You might not always like that answer, but he will answer you. And so from verse 15 to the end of the chapter here. Then the Philistines were at war again with Israel. David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. And David grew faint. Then... Ishbi Binab was one of the sons of the giant. The weight of his bronze spear, whose bronze spear was 300 shekels or seven and a half pounds, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of uh, Zeruiah came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp, the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterwards that there was again a battle with the Philistines in Gob. And Sibukai, Sibukai, the guy from that place, killed Seth, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again, there was war in Gob with the Philistines there. Elhanan, the son of this guy, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Again, there was war in Gath. There was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was born to the giant. So, when he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant 
in Gath and fell by the hand of David by the hand of his servant. Now, this is interesting. First of all, these battles probably took place probably back in, in, in chapter, I think, 7, 8, 9, 10, somewhere around there. These battles were a little, little earlier than, than now, but they're, they're, they're here almost as a bookend to David's life. Because if you remember, when David became a man of war is when he went against the giant Goliath, remember? And now, this last four battles that, that we have here, they are against the sons of a giant or the giant, more than likely of Goliath, who had four sons that are now coming after David. And one of them, uh, this guy, Ishbi, yeah, he has an opportunity to kill David. And if indeed it is Goliath's son, he is going to get revenge on the man who killed his father. And Abishai, good old Abishai, man. This guy was the man once again. He comes and he saves David's life. And he kills the giant. And at that time, it says that David, when he went out there, he had grew faint. Again, he was a little older. And these guys, these time, this time they're saying, David, you cannot come out with us no more. There's no way, David, that you can continue doing this with us. And again, we heard that a while back, again, in one of the chapters that we had covered, that, that he was getting older and they're saying, David, you can't go out with us. And he's going, no, I can still do it. And he's going, no, you can't. 20,000 of us can get, can get killed, but you're our only king and you can't. You can't we can't allow that to happen, David. And so again, that's why these battles probably took on earlier. And so David grew faint and they're saying, there's no way we can allow you to come out because you are the lamp of Israel and the lamp of Israel cannot go out. You, you are so vital to us. You, you are vulnerable out there, but you are valuable to us. And so we got to take care of you, David. And David heeded that. And so the next battle comes. And, and, and again, this, another giant gets killed. And then another battle is, is told to us here. And, and that guy gets killed as well. And then you get to verse 20 and 21. And it's interesting. He says, and again, another war in Gath. And there was a man of great statue. So he's a tall man, a giant of a man. And it says that he has six fingers on each hand and six toes. And I'm thinking, man, oh man, not only is he tall, but if you look at somebody with six fingers, man, it just like looks bigger. I can imagine. So I Googled it and they look bigger. <laughs> but <laughs> can you imagine? It's like, dang, man, those are like nets coming after me. <laughs> and I'm wondering if, if the guy says, I don't mean to pry, but do you happen to have six fingers and six toes? Did you happen to have that? Now, here's the interesting part. I, I, as a kid, my aunt on my mom's side, she married into, the, into a family of musicians. And, and, and my uncle was a musician and his brothers, they were midgets. I don't know if that's a proper word to use nowadays that people tell me, I don't know. But they were midgets, and they were short. That's what a midget is, right? 
and they had six fingers and six toes. And they played the accordion like nobody's business because of the extra digit. It's crazy. They were famous back in, in Mexico, down in Monterrey area in, in South Texas. But they, so I knew somebody that had six fingers and six toes. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that. I have, but they, they, it didn't look like a giant because it was giants. But it was weird to see that. This looks normal. One more digit does not look normal. Now, I could imagine verse 21, I, I, I will paraphrase it because it probably sounded something more like this. Hello, my name is Jonathan. You have defiled my God. Prepare to die. Probably went something like that. <laughs> I couldn't help it because if you know the Princess Bride, this is a perfect classic right here. How do you pass that up? <laughs> Not do that. But this thing has gone for full circle for David's life because he's at the end of his life. And I can't wait to get into chapter two, 22 because I've studied it to no end. And I'm like, I was so excited to preach it tonight. And then, so now you're going to have to wait for a couple of weeks because next week we have family night and you're all invited to come and don't eat, get here earlier so we can eat. But anyway, be that as it may. He started off by killing the giant. And at the end of his life, the giant's sons basically get killed. They want revenge on David. I could imagine that they were like Inigo Montoya. <laughs> that he wanted, they wanted to kill. Not the six-fingered man because they had it. But they wanted to kill David. And they came after him at the end. And they couldn't kill him. Why? Because David, David was a man after God's own heart. God, that David was God's man. And nobody can touch him. Nobody could touch him until God was done with him. And again, guys, everything in our life kind of comes full circle, man. The battles that we, that we engage in throughout our Christian life, God will have his hand upon us. Oh, there's, there'll, there'll be victories and there'll be defeats. Don't get me wrong. But in the end, staying close to God, having that relationship with him like that, he will see you through to the very end. Until you breathe your last, you will have battles. Don't get me wrong. But God will have victory after victory after victory in your life if you just let him, if you submit to him, if you humble yourself. And when, when you ask him, Lord, what's going on in my life? And he says, it's because of this. Then get it right with him and with the people around you. And I can guarantee you, you will have victory like, like the nation of Israel here. And so all these four were born to the giants in Gath and they fell by the hand of David. It's like David was weak. They didn't let him go out no more. But he got, the, he got the credit. And by his servants, he got the credit for killing even more giants. David was a giant slayer, man. He was a man. God expects us to be giant slayers. Whatever's going on in your life, God can slay it if you're in with him. Amen? Hey, didn't cut it too short, but come on out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you once again, Lord God, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, Lord, for your, uh, your grace even, Lord God, as we're going through the scripture here, to, to kind of just see, Lord God, um, just the victories that you give, Lord. Lord, I, I am truly amazed, Lord. I don't, I don't understand 
this whole story and why it, it played out exactly the way it did, Lord. But what I do understand, Lord God, is that David cried out to you. And you told him what was happening. You revealed to him, Lord God, the problem. And Lord, because he inquired of you, and because you gave him the answer, Lord God, David had to act on that. And I thank you for that example that you give us tonight. That Lord, when we inquire of you, and when you answer us, Lord, you expect us to, to act and to do what you ask us to do, Lord. Even humble ourselves. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, I, I, I don't know what kind of blessings are being held back right now because of stubbornness, because of uh, pride. But I pray that God, right now, Lord God, as, as my brothers and sisters inquire of you, that you will answer them and give them clear direction, Lord. And so, Lord, help them to be obedient to who you are and what your word tells them. So we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.